0: I'm Janice Dean. I'm Brett Baer. I'm Martha McCallum. And this is the Fox News Rundown.
1: Friday, April 1st, 2022. I'm Dave Anthony. We're now six weeks into Russia's war on Ukraine. Heartbreaking to Congresswoman Victoria Sparks, who was born there with a grandmother among the many in dire straits there.
2: We
3: really don't have any direct communications with her because the area where she is has been bombed and really there is no access, no phones are working there. These people have been
4: without water, electricity for several weeks now, so it's going to get pretty bad. And Lisa Brady is it time to hit control alt delete in American politics so things can get done again. Just because we've been doing something
2: the same way for the last couple of decades doesn't mean we have to continue by doing it.
5: And I'm James Carafano, and I've got the final word on the Fox
1: News rundown. For a 37th day. Russia is attacking Ukraine.
3: Russia is doing genocide on Ukrainian territories. People of Mariupol are now hostages.
1: Anastasia Rodina is a member of parliament. Mariupol's in ruins. Most of the housing destroyed. Thousands of people have been killed.
3: They are literally dying because they don't, not, not just because they are constantly shelled, but because they do not have water, they do not have
1: and today, the Red Cross is working with Ukraine's government, trying to rescue more of the over 100,000 civilians trapped in that city, hoping to bust them out of Mariupol, though Russia has made that difficult in the past. Working with our NATO allies and our European partners and beyond that, we, uh, we're responding. We're aiding the Ukrainian people, both economically and militarily. But President Biden adds... Putin's war is imposing a cost on America and our allies and democracies around the world. And the president's trying to reduce near-record gas prices here by releasing more oil from the U.S. Strategic Petroleum Reserve after banning Russian oil imports, further squeezing Russian leader Vladimir Putin. He claims the West is waging an economic war on Russia, as Russia claims it's pulling back forces from some areas of Ukraine.
3: We need to judge Russia on a... Uh, their actions, not on their words.
1: NATO leader Jens Stoltenberg and President Biden both say they are skeptical as Russia keeps shelling those same areas. It's all one long nightmare for Congresswoman Victoria Sparks.
3: Being Ukrainian born, I have a lot of people from around the country reaching out and sharing stories and sharing what's happening, you know, people from Ukraine reaching out.
1: She was actually born in Ukraine when it was the Soviet Union. Now, Congresswoman Sparks is an American, a Republican from Indiana.
3: The atrocity and really these people living through hell that happened in that country is just heartbreaking for me as a human being.
1: Yeah, and and you know that land. You lived there for 22 years of your life. Where in Ukraine is your family? I know you still have family there.
3: Right. Well, actually, it's in one of the regions that's supposed to be de-escalated on the recent talks from Turkey, but in reality, actually been escalating. This is one of the first areas that was uh, tried to be taken by Russia. It's Chernihiv, city of Chernihiv, Chernihiv region. It's in the border with Russia and Belarus. And the city of Chernihiv is heroic. They've been standing the ground for weeks now, getting shelled, getting surrounded with no water, no electricity. And I I am. I am shocked. They're still fighting. They were not able to take that city, and it's really getting humanitarian catastrophe inside that city. But people are standing the ground and fighting.
1: Yeah, and and Russia was supposed to be pulling back forces from around there, but they've they've still been bombing it this week
3: oh no, they actually escalated bombing for in, the, in the last two days. It's non-stop shelling now. And, you know, they were trying, international organizations try to bring some supplies in the city. They're refusing. And I actually have heard some Ukrainians try to do that. Some member of their parliament husband was trying to drive supplies, humanitarian supplies, and he was killed oh. you know, just yesterday. So I think it's actually a very bad situation over there. And a lot of all people and children is still left in that city it's a large city and it's you know it's getting pretty bad so i think you know they're i mean it's not surprising but they're liars and they're lying right now that they actually escalated in the kiev region and chernigov region instead of de-escalating
1: the u.s has sent aid the u.s has sent weapons what more do you want the u.s to do to try to stop vladimir putin
3: You know, we actually, it was very generous what Congress did allocate to help, you know, but nothing is happening there on the ground. These organizations are not really operationally in Ukraine or outside of Ukraine, which is really, surprising for me I understand that they have challenges inside the country but having challenges in Poland and have it over a month not to establish any significant operations we have to ask questions from USAID and all of these people what are they doing because it's becoming a huge humanitarian catastrophe out there too and Congress has an oversight responsibility to our taxpayers when we allocate this money to help for these people to survive and help Europe to survive and really bring some stability back to the world to actually ask questions. And we need to ask these questions. And I hope my Democrat colleagues will support me on that. But also with the defensive aid, we've also kind of been dragging our feet, trying to play catch up. And the only thing Russians understand and Putin understands is strength. You know, Ukrainian people, they build a lot of resistance. He didn't accept fact that now he understands that it's tougher for him, but he is not ready yet to really negotiate peace. So if we want him to get to the table, he needs to understand that it is serious, it's not temporary, and it's going to put him you know, existence of his power in his country at stake. And he will understand that he needs to start dealing with this situation.
1: Yeah, there are supposed to be more peace talks on Friday. What can you even do in a negotiation with Russia? What how can Ukraine get Russia to agree to stop the fighting? Is there anything on the, the negotiating table that can be done?
3: I think the only way they will come to an agreement is if they understand that they're going to lose this war. And I think they are going to lose it in the end, but I don't think they think it's still as imminent. You know, they talk about all of this evil Ukrainians and all these things, you know, but actually the populations of cities, they just bombed and destroyed, like Kharkiv, Chernihiv, Mariupol, has a lot of actually Russian-born people. I was talking to my mother, most of the neighbors that I knew from Chernihiv. You know, either their spouses or their brothers. This is actually that live there. are actually Russian-born, not just Russian-speaking. Mm. Actually, were born in Russia. They have relatives in Russia. And right now, their relatives may be brainwashed, but at some point they will understand that they're killing their brothers and sisters. And it's going to be a problem for him, too.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, well, uh, the Ukrainian president, uh, Vladimir Zelensky, has said he's not going to give up any land or anything in these peace talks. Russia wants areas in the eastern part of the country that it's already taken, right?
3: Well, of course, and they will try to do as much as they can do. And, I you know, they have to have an agreement, As there are some things that Ukrainians are willing to agree, and so I think they need to do. But I think the territory of the Ukraine is a sovereign country, and no country should be able to come in Europe in our age and say, I want a piece of territory. This is actually not just a challenge to Ukraine, a challenge to the world order. You know, that's how World War II started, when when Germany decided to, you know, come and check, you know, republic and starting doing all these different things. So that is a slippery slope to start dividing European territories or any territories. Really the international community has to see what kind of security that could be provided and assurances to keep peace. So that's not going to be another war again.
1: We mentioned Congresswoman Sparks has family still in Ukraine. A few weeks ago, she got a scare.
3: My grandma turning 95 today And we couldn't reach her.
1: Then she said right before that interview on Fox News Channel.
3: My mom just called me a few minutes ago and told me that uh, we reached her neighbor and the building next to her was hit.
1: And that blew out all the windows of her grandmother's apartment.
3: So they moved into the basement. So at least for now they're safe in the basement.
1: That was then. How's grandma doing now?
3: I, we really don't have communications with her directly because, uh, you know, they have no electricity and, um, and so no phones are working and uh, already for a few weeks. So, I, you know, my mom just only has communication from some people she knows that, uh, you know, check on her. I think she was alive, at least in the recent time they saw her, but we really don't have any direct communications with her because the area where she is has been bombed and really there is no access, no phones are working there. These people have been without water, electricity for several weeks now, so it's going to get pretty bad. Uh, You know, she talked to one of her neighbors and uh, she said that the woman was standing for six hours to get a bottle of water. When I was at the border. Thank you. You know, I actually you know t- talked to some woman that came from Mariupol, and she said they were trying to get water from the river, but it's not a very good water. So you'll have a lot of disease and other th- things happening. You know, and I think that's what some of these cities on the season now experiences. You know, lack of food and lack of water. But everyone who tries to escape, they shoot at people. They're watching them how they mine some of the fields around cities too, and watching how people get blown up on these mines. And if somebody tried to escape they just pretty much sit snipers and shoot them so not allow people to escape so I mean they want people to die in the cities but this is we're talking about hundred of thousands of people under siege this is a lot of people and somehow an international community has to put pressure on Russia to start dealing with that and allow some safe passages to evacuate some children and old people and people that are really in a terrible situation
1: you mentioned Poland earlier Majority of the more than four million Ukrainians who have fled the country and are now refugees are in Poland. You went there in early March. You talked to people. What did you see?
3: Well, I think it's it's unfortunate that you know that we don't have as much presence and help of international organizations to help poland I think Polish people are amazing what they're doing for Ukrainians I mean they're bringing people in their homes, they feeding people they treating people they provide everything for them but it's too big of a crisis for one country to handle and I think Poland needs to be helped and especially by EU and other countries to make sure that it doesn't destabilize the whole country because it's now running a risk not just for Ukrainians that they can be in the hands of criminals. And when I went, you know, last weekend there, it's two weeks later, I actually saw escalation of really uh, criminal activity. And it's very obvious when you go to the border, you go to train station, and there are a lot of bad people trying to look for easy victims for human trafficking, child trafficking. Much more now you have people that you know came from Ukraine with no means, don't know anyone from war zones with. They're stressed out, so they can be easy victims. And you can see that criminal activity, including Russian criminal activity, will be start really increasing there to try to destabilize the country. So I think it's important to help Poland to deal with this situation effectively because it's not just a problem for them. It's problem for the whole Europe. Well,
1: we wish your family well. We hope for the best. And uh, we thank you very much, Congresswoman Victoria Sparts, Republican from Indiana. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
5: This is James Carafano with your Fox News commentary coming up.
4: While President Biden blames Russia's president and the pandemic for inflation, Republicans keep pointing the finger at him, like Texas senator and former presidential hopeful Ted Cruz. We're seeing Jimmy Carter 2.0,
1: hyperinflation, stagflation, disasters abroad, a weak president.
4: But Democrats are pointing right back. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer defending the broader Biden agenda.
5: Republicans seem to think it's radical for the federal government to dedicate resources to a clean energy future.
4: And that's tame compared to the nonstop blame game on social media in the long run up to the midterm elections and where it can feel like campaign season never really ends.
2: I always find people should be more critical of your own team
4: because you have you can do something about it. Will Hurd is a former three term Republican congressman from Texas. He's also been a CIA officer, a cybersecurity executive and now author of the new book, American Reboot, an idealist's guide to getting big things done. In it, he takes on. On several problems including restoring the republican party and improving national leadership with chapters like appeal to the middle not the edges don't pander build trust and build the workforce of tomorrow not yesterday we know in 2022 Republicans are going to take the House. That's
2: almost a fait accompli. And we're likely to take back the Senate as well. And the reason, the primary reason driving this is because of the incompetence on the Democratic side. And so how about if we if we take advantage of that incompetence, uh, put forward some ideas that are based on our values, uh, talk about the future. I think that puts us in a way better position um, at, at, in future elections.
4: Part of your focus is on stepping off the X, as you put it, <laughs> um, sort of moving out of crisis mode all the time and, and this nonstop appeal to sort of the far reaches of, of either party. Um, but is is that something that people are ready to hear?
2: I, they, they need to. I, I think the people are ready to hear, That's this is how I won elections. Nobody thought a black Republican on the Texas-Mexico border would win in a 71% Latino district. And I did that three times. Nobody thought I, I had a chance. And, and the reason that we need to start talking about the future is because, I, look, I want to make sure that this century stays the American century. And we are actually, we're talking about this new Cold War with Russia, but we're actually in a new Cold War with the Chinese government as well. And they are trying to surpass us as the world's global superpower. The Russians don't have the capabilities to do that the Chinese government does. And, and we, to be ready for this, we need to be talking um, about solutions and we need to get beyond these kind of fear mongering. And I believe that way more unites us as a country than divides us. And, and people are looking for inspiration. And I can give examples in in Texas. We had 3 million people vote in our primary on March 1st out of 30 million. That's a terrible number. And the reason is that people are not providing those other 27 million folks with
4: something that people want to come out and vote for. How do you win over people or maybe are you not trying to win over people who support the former president? Are you concerned that a substantial number of Republicans just won't listen to anti-Trump sentiment?
2: Well, it's not necessarily anti-Trump. You know, the things I'm talking about is about the future and it's about technology. It's about how we can be better dealing with Russia. How do we better deal with the border crisis that's outrageous right now? It's the worst that it's, it's ever been. So those are the things that I talk about. And look, I, I took the strategy when I was in Congress. I agreed when I agreed. I disagreed when I disagreed. And I did that with his predecessor, Democrat President Obama. So it's not about any particular individual, in my opinion.
4: The book certainly makes no no bones <laughs> about criticizing Trump, though. And I read an article in The Atlantic called The Revenge of the Normal Republicans, <laughs> very supportive of the appeal that you're making in general. But then I read another article written by the former spokesman for John Huntsman's presidential campaign, calling it wish casting and saying that there aren't enough so-called normal Republicans to make this work, essentially. What is it that keeps you Hopeful about all of this.
2: Well, for, first off, my dad, who I get to talk a lot about in the book, and you know, always said, "Have a PMA, a positive mental attitude." And what keeps me hopeful is that in running in a hotly contested district, um, it flipped back and forth between parties for for a decade. I was the first person to hold it three cycles in a row. And the thing that I learned is that I don't care who you are, where you're from, what you do. You care about putting food on your table. A roof over your head and making sure that the people you love are healthy, happy, and safe. And when you talk about those issues, there's a lot of people, I would say it's 80% of the country that is focused on those things. And so just because we've been doing something the same way for the last couple of decades doesn't mean we have to continue doing it that way. And that's the whole reason that I wrote the book. And that's why I talk about my lessons in the CIA, one of those being that get off the X. The X is where something's going down and that's the last place you want to be when something's going down, that we need to try something different. Because the challenges ahead of us, we're not going to be able to solve the way we've been trying to solve problems now.
4: Your personal and professional background, you know, certainly inform your perspective, including your time as a CIA operative. And as a congressman, you made a point of spending time with constituents who vote Democratic. And you made a forceful point in the book about listening and not just campaigning.
2: <laughs> yeah, look, uh, you got to show up, right? I think most folks listen. I'm like, yeah, doesn't everybody do that? And it's like, no, they, they don't. And, you know, one of the things that I had to do, if, if every Republican voted for me in my district, I would not win i had to get independence i had to get democrats and so i had to take conservative values to places that had never seen a a conservative before and so that's the battle for the hearts and minds and and what i found is you know our ideas are better like they resonate better you have you know when it comes to like education there's been a 20-year longitudinal study done in texas about school choice and about how charter schools eliminate the achievement gap in all communities this is something that we should be championing. And when you take that to a deep blue district and talk about kids making sure that their kids are prepared for jobs that don't exist today, and here's how you do it, people start listening. When you start talking about how to actually solve you know, challenges of the border, because folks along the border even though they have probably identified with the Democratic Party for a long time. And um, they see border security as a public safety issue. And they're sick and tired of problems not being solved. And so when, when you go and you talk about issues that people really care about, uh, you'll be surprised at how people are willing to open up their ears. But you show up, listen to people, and um, you realize that more unites us than invites us.
4: How much does this concept of an American reboot or a political intervention, if you will, How much does it hinge on either party being willing to want to compromise, you know, to let their constituents win by getting things done instead of just focusing on which party is winning an argument?
2: A great question. And here's my philosophy on this. Parties should be driven by the people you represent. With only three million people voting in a primary in Texas, that means 27 million people didn't. And if you only talk to the same people over and over, you're gonna get the same results. And so it's an opportunity. It's hard, but the country demands this. I've been lucky who have benefited from this country. I have more opportunities than my father had. I want to make sure that the next generation has more opportunities than I've had. And that's why I think it's important to fight for some of these ideas and have these conversations on how do we ensure that this experiment that has led to 247 years of improvements in American society to where we are. I want to make sure we see that continue for another 247 years.
4: If Republicans do take back control of one or both chambers of Congress, does it make it harder for Republicans to buy the changes you're selling?
2: Well, look, if we aren't careful, if we don't recognize that it's it's democratic incompetence that has fueled some of our gains and don't provide a clear vision of the future and then govern, because when we take over, people are gonna expect some changes and they're gonna expect some things to get done. And if we don't do it, then guess what? Democrats and Joe Biden is gonna blame a recalcitrant House or a recalcitrant Senate on the reason for all the ills in the country. And so the likelihood that both chambers are in Republicans hands at the beginning of twenty twenty three is quite high. But you know what you do with that power is going to matter for later elections.
4: Are you going to run for president?
2: <laughs> Look, I, I appreciate the folks that you, know, you write a really good book and everybody thinks you're going to run for president. If the opportunity for me to serve my country again happens, then then I'll evaluate that. And um, I've been lucky to serve my country in a lot of different ways. My time in the CIA was awesome. It was fun recruiting spies and stealing secrets on some of the most important uh, national security challenges. It was cool representing a, a district as big as Georgia in Congress. But right now, for me, I think the contribution I can make is talk about these ideas and talk about our future and say that there's a, there's a different way. Um, there's a different way to make sure that we stay as successful as we have been.
4: I'm going to put you down as a maybe. I think I heard basically (laughs) heard maybe. (laughs) Um, One other quick thing I want to ask you about, um, and that is the Russian war in Ukraine. Um, Do you think that the current administration should be handling something differently? And I ask that in part because of your CIA background, your Mm -hmm. cybersecurity background, background, um, you know, from the standpoint of the intelligence that we, in part, have to rely on for the decisions we're making.
2: Look, absolutely, Lisa. I appreciate the question. And yes, this administration should be doing a lot more. And we should be thinking about this is how do we prevent the continued massacre of Ukrainians? And one way to do that is to give them as much equipment as they need and they can absorb. And this notion that, oh, that's going to lead to some escalation, Vladimir Putin has shown the ability to level death and destruction. What what you're seeing happening in Mariupol can happen anywhere else in the country. But the best way to do to make sure this thing ends is that make sure to give the Ukrainians all the help they can in order to win uh, this war. And then also this administration, instead of trying to restart a terrible deal with Iran, they should be going to the rest of the Western Hemisphere and helping them and getting them to be involved in these embargoes and these sanctions against Russia. When you look at the countries that are not supporting these this embargo against Russia, it's pretty stark, it's pretty shocking. And so instead of trying to work with many of our allies to help join this, continue to put pressure on Vladimir Putin, and then we should also be talking about reconstruction like how do we help the ukrainians rebuild how do we provide the kind of humanitarian support all of these have to be dealt with and this is something the administration should be showing leadership and i'm not seeing enough
4: former texas congressman will Heard, congratulations on your book it's called american reboot an idealist's guide to get to getting big things done and thank you so much for your time
2: thank you lisa for having me on
6: you hear the news now you can with instant updates from fox news for amazon alexa just say
3: alexa play news from fox in fox news
6: it's the latest when you need it on demand from fox news and amazon alexa rate and review the fox news rundown on apple podcasts or wherever you listen and now some good news with tanya j powers
0: One of two flamingos that escaped from a Kansas zoo 17 years ago has been spotted off the coast of Texas. Officials with the Coastal Fisheries Division of Texas Parks and Wildlife told the Associated Press that the African flamingo, think long legs, a long neck, and those pretty pink feathers, was seen on video shot on March 10th near Port Lavaca, northeast of Corpus Christi. An environmental activist shot the video, and officials were able to make out the bird's leg band on it, showing the number 492. Number 492 escaped from the Sedgwick County Zoo in Wichita, along with another flamingo, during a storm in June of 2005. Employees hadn't yet clipped their wings to prevent them from flying, so that helped with the getaway. The other flamingo was not seen again, but it turns out that old number 492 has had quite the scenic journey. It's been spotted several times in Wisconsin, Louisiana, and Texas, sometimes with other wild flamingos. You know what Mama always says about getting in with the wrong crowd. Zoo officials say they never plan to recapture number 492, despite the sightings, saying there's just no easy way to do it without disturbing the wildlife. So while the rest of the zoo animals are wondering what it would be like to be out loose in the world, Number 492 is out here living its best flamingo life. Tanya J. Powers, Fox News.
1: It's time for your Fox News commentary. On What's on your mind?
5: President Biden's Euro Tour played like many a horror movie where things go from eerily off to a full-blown crisis in a matter of seconds. His trip was meant to reassure Europeans that when it comes to beating back Russian President Vladimir Putin, America is in it to win it. What happened was something else entirely. On the surface, the folksy Uncle Joe routine plays really well in Europe. Biden's statements of solidarity, along with his reassurances of U.S. commitment for Ukraine and the defense of NATO, get good press. Most importantly for most European leaders, he never asks them for anything more than they are already willing to do. He is the inoffensive bystander in chief. Trailing behind the likable Biden, however, is a dark shadow. Two perplexing problems pose a nagging worry for the future of the transatlantic community. One is Biden's continued penchant for face planting gas that the White House must then explain away. This trip included at least a half dozen from suggesting American troops would deploy to Ukraine, to implying the U.S. would respond to a Russian use of chemical weapons with chemical weapons, which the U.S. does not even have. It does not help that a national security team that has proven itself subpar backs Biden. Vice President Harris's European visit, for instance, looked like the stuff of a Saturday Night Live sketch. The White House would be hard-pressed to cite one positive outcome. As if their halting response to the Ukraine crisis weren't enough, the word around Washington is that Biden's dream team is only days away from announcing a new Iran deal, one that's even weaker than the last, sure to spark new tensions and conflict in the region and bound to raise more questions about the competence of Biden and his advisors. The second problem is a deeper one, deeper than the cognitive abilities of the president and his team's lack of competence. It is that they have shown no skill, no ability to formulate and execute strategy to safeguard the long-term interests of the United States. More than a year after taking office, Biden boasts a national gender strategy, but still no national security strategy. The lack of strategic vision is particularly troubling right now. How is the US going to lead after this war to ensure that Putin never troubles us again? The Russian president remains a military threat and still has energy as a weapon of blackmail coercion profit, and influence. Biden doesn't have a long-term response for either. We need strengthened conventional and strategic deterrence and energy independence. Biden has offered Band-Aids and wishful hopes. And make no mistake, the Chinese Communist Party has taken note of this weakness. Biden can hope Putin goes away and that renewable energy powers the free world all he wants but both are are magical thinking. In the end, this trip is a reminder that Americans are led by a tired man of limited ability, backed by a team who are no better at this now than they were under Obama. Jim Carafano at the Heritage Foundation, thanks for listening.
6: listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News hourly update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.